Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take us off course. And I hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Hope you got everything you could ever want. What a week. What a show. At the top, we're going to be looking at three, two articles and some data. The first article is a years-long way to boost stock market returns. It's going to go into something called tax loss harvesting, we've talked about before on the show. We're then going to look at a way to trick your brain into being better with money. Hmm. That could be helpful. And then we've got some fun data. Fun data. Kind of a Robert's Corner, kind of just good data. It's a hybridized product for this show. But let's start at the top, this years-long way to boost stock market returns. This is by Spencer Jacob, the Wall Street Journal. Supposedly came out December 25th. Goodness. No rest for the weary over there at the Wall Street Journal, cranking out articles on Christmas. Investors generally wait too long to harvest losses from their portfolios, leaving billions on the table. Well, let's start with some definitions. What is tax loss harvesting? Well, the name tells us a lot. So when you sell an investment at a loss, so let's say you have a stock, you bought it $10. That's the cost basis. Let's say you sold it trading at $8. You have a loss. You are actually harvesting those losses. So what was previously an unrealized loss or gain became a realized loss in this instance. And so that loss, whether it's short-term loss or long-term loss, you actually get to keep that to offset future capital gains and a little bit of ordinary income each year, up to $3,000. But that's it. Nothing too fancy here. So what can be helpful is if you have a... Now, this is going to be for a brokerage account. This does not matter for your retirement accounts, but if you're in a brokerage account, you can engage in tax-loss harvesting in a way that minimizes the changes to your investments, but still captures those losses to be used on future gains. Offset those future gains or chip away at that $3,000 of ordinary income. So this article talks about that opportunity. Now, they, they go into, you, you may be thinking, aha, I've got this IRS thing figured out. I'll just sell my shares of Coca-Cola and buy them back an hour later, capture the loss and buy back in. Eh, can't do that. IRS thought you might be tempted to do that, and there's a rule against that. It's the wash sale rule. So you got to wait 30 days before or after to engage in buying that security or else you're not going to get offset loss because then it really wouldn't be a loss. There's no real market risk. But what you can do is what if you sold your Coca-Cola stock and bought Pepsi? Pepsi, hmm? Not so different. Or you sold your ExxonMobil stock and bought Chevron. Ah. So in the exchange-traded fund world, this also can work. And I've helped folks do this. Exchange-traded funds have to be just different enough. So there's a certain standard the IRS has. You can't just you know, 
sell an S&P 500 ETF and then buy an S&P 500 ETF by another company. No, that's too similar. But you could buy a total stock market index. And that, check with your CPA, of course, would be a legitimate capture. So now that we've had that fun classroom experience, ooh, there's some more here. All right, this article talks about the ability to go in there and actually sign up for robo-advisors. Perhaps you've heard of these robo-advisors that Wealthfront and others who will engage in tax loss harvesting with lots of securities. They, all, they even have a product called Direct Indexing, which a whole host of companies, Vanguard, Schwab, and many others have, uh, have on offer. And you'll, instead of buying an exchange-traded fund or index fund, you'll buy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stocks They'll be in your brokerage account and they will sell those stocks on an individual basis and still track the index. So this allows for even when the stock market in total is up, you're still going to have some, some losses in there that you, the investor, can harvest. Now, this is um, not free. <clears throat> no surprise. And involves a great deal of complexity. Yeah, I say a great deal. It involves a little complexity. Different these different companies are going to charge different amounts, but there are years where there is a legitimate tax loss harvesting gain, a gain that results without risk to you, the investor. It just involves a touch more complexity, and it's every investor is going to have certain attributes to their arrangement that will make this better or worse. I have not just bought in whole hog on this, although I I think there are instances where it may be worth it for people to look at this. I actually think this is a permissible strategy. I don't like how sticky the product is with these companies. Um, you and, and then the, the short-term nature of the benefit. I wonder if the complexity will make it more difficult for investors to stick with their plan over 50 years. So if you're a lump sum investor and you put big old chunk of change down on this direct indexing strategy, it will benefit you for the first few years. However, if the stock market's kind of up and to the right and moving up and up, at some point you really, there's really not a whole lot of value there. It, it'll probably work better for people that are regularly investing large chunks of money every year. Because then each one of those slugs of money will get a reset on the cost basis that you buy in at. So we're dealing with some complexity here at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. I know my listeners can handle it. However, I think this probably deserves more research. If you want to dig in deeper, just Google direct indexing. I think Schwab does a pretty good job of describing it. And then they advertise their product at 0.40%, I believe. I think you're okay sticking with your plain vanilla exchange traded funds. There are going to be opportunities to... Uh, engage in tax loss harvesting. And this article, the big warning here is, hey, don't just wait until December because it may be that the opportunity to do this was in July. So this is one of those few instances where, yeah, it's going to help to actually follow your holdings a little bit. But I would encourage you to talk to your financial advisor uh, and or your CPA because you make that happen. Next article, trick your brain into being better with money. Mm. 
by Oyen Adayoyan and Joe Pinsker. Trick your brain into being better with money. This is a Wall Street Journal article, December 27th. How to nudge yourself to spend less and enjoy life more in the new year. These sorts of articles are coming out, end of year, uh, a lot of kind of New Year's resolutions surrounding personal finance. I'm curious if you agree with this first sentence in the article. It reads, the human brain isn't very good with money. What do you think, listeners? Is that a fair statement? I think so. The article continues, even when we set out with the best intentions, we have to end up making the same mistakes. I agree. I think it's hard. So what I like about this article is it says, hey, why don't we find ways to systematize, kind of organize our financial lives so that we don't have to always make the decisions because it's hard. This, uh, this is a Wendy De La Rosa professor at Penn's Wharton School, I'm sorry, Penn's Wharton Business School, which I suppose is some sort of a feeder program to Texas A&M's May School of Business. But she read, she says, our brains are fundamentally not wired to make the decisions that we're asking ourselves to make. You're asking a single individual to stand up against a whole host of organizations who are incentivized to get you to part with your money as quickly as possible. Yes. Ms. De La Rosa, yes. Could not agree more. It's you against the world. It's like Pilgrim's Progress. You've got a lot of, a lot of folks trying to get you off the straight and narrow. And they are incentivized to do so because they profit from getting you off the straight and the narrow. So I thought there were some good ideas in here, one of which was simplify your bills. I have never thought about this, but I don't know, maybe I'll do it, maybe not. She said, reschedule the timing of your recurring bills so they're all due at the same time of the month. Perhaps shortly after a paycheck, it's your account. You can often request a new due date from your credit card company, cable provider, or other billers. This practice reduces the chance of forgetting to make a payment and frees up mental bandwidth. I feel at times a similar angst around, well, goodness, when does this bill pull? I don't know. At some point, you have them pulling all different times throughout the month, and it's tough to get figured out. I kind of like this idea. If they all pulled on the end of the month, the beginning of the month, the middle of the month, all the same time, you'd really be able to watch it. It's a neat one. I thought this was good, too. They said, set a financial health day. Now, I might rebrand that, but it doesn't really matter. The article suggests, hey, just have a day and just focus on personal finances. Now, that may sound terrible to some of you, so they give you an out, maybe just 15 minutes. The article says, ritualize it, make it creative, sit down, light a candle. If you feel anxious during this, go for a quick walk. This person likes to have a mocha latte. That kind of helps her. But whatever it takes to get you to focus on something that maybe you wouldn't otherwise focus on and be intentional with it, aha, I like it. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Make spending hurt. And I think perhaps if you're a Dave Ramsey disciple, you've you've heard his uh, use all cash because you feel it. It's a little challenging in our modern economy. But I liked this. So particularly with online shopping, it says, uh, well, this is going to be a little inconvenient. But I thought it was a fine idea. Don't save your credit card information in any website or app. So every time you buy something, you have to go through with the 16-digit security code, the whatever, it's expiration. That'll slow your roll. That'll make you spend with intentionality a little more. Um, I'm not sure I'm doing that because that would just <laughs> be rough. But, 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 hey, 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 there's other stuff. I like this one. Okay, 
What about this? This is what it says. Other favors you can do yourself while shopping online. You can install an ad blocker. Okay, good. What about this? Designating one day of the week where you get to make all your purchases. So all the impulsivity surrounding our, our, our purchases, which is just our human brain, what if you just said, hey, Tuesday. Hey, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. That's where I'm going to write. I'm going to write down all these things I want to buy. And then when Tuesday rolls around, should they still be on that list, I will go ahead and purchase. I thought that was a fine idea. I'm not sure I'm going to do it, but at least I'll think about it. It, makes, it at least makes you think, man, I, I kind of get it. Um, and then they, of course, give you the proverbial pass and buy whatever you want from the coffee store. Doesn't really do anything. I kind of agree. There's a chart I will reference a lot with clients and others that shows where Americans spend their money. And it's housing and transportation. I think it's about 60%. Housing and transportation. So for all the angst and hand-wringing about uh, cable bill and Starbucks and all the rest, it's the big things that we are probably least likely to change what we do the most good. It's what car do you drive, what house do you live in? Because if you get that right, or at least right-sized for your situation, you can kind of make a lot of mistakes with other purchases. So, And then in closing, on the Twitter machine... Jerry K, whoever you are, he's, he's some sort of a trader, but I thought it, um, I, I thought this, this tweet was prescient and deserved telling to you, the listener. He, he basically closed this saying, no one knows anything. And I feel that way a lot. So let's just go through his list. Stocks, since the U.S. was for sure going into recession. Mr. Jerry's referencing at the beginning of this year, it just people, when interest rates were high, they thought, hey, it's over. Stock shop, 19%. Oil, since Russia invaded Ukraine, it's down 20%. Gold, since inflation took off, it's up 11%. Bitcoin, since the arrest of SBF, who was a leader in the Bitcoin space, Bitcoin's up 150% since his arrest. And then home prices, since the Fed started raising rates, are up 6%. So a whole lot of that, I would have guessed, would be different. And yet, markets are humbling. It's very difficult to anticipate what they will do in the short run and even the long run. And what Jerry K. rightfully does is put us in our place, particularly financial advisors, particularly so-called experts in the finance space. Because what I went back and looked at is I said, okay, What's the year to date on the American stock market? Uh, it's up 25% this year. This year, things are supposed to be bad. Bad, bad, bad. Oil being down as much as it is, that's a shock Russia invaded, after Russia invaded Ukraine, but that's what happened. And then gold, you would have thought gold would have perhaps outperformed a whole host of these things, but year to date, gold's up about 12%. Oh, my favorite. I just get... Sad reporting this data to you, but it's just the truth. International stocks up 11%, something. Still lagging domestic stocks. Still, 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 still. Don't give up on them. Uh, and then home prices. So with all your financial decisions, with all the data that you input, with all the experts that you, you go to, just know it is possible in the short run that you're going to trail. And in that moment, you'll have a decision, particularly, let's, let's call it with crypto. 
unless you've got a real strong thesis and know what you're doing, and even then it seems overwhelming to me that this could even work, but I've been wrong for years. Can you handle Bitcoin being up 150% while you're tried and true? International stocks, which, hey, all the research told you this is good, are up 11%. How is that possible? Markets are humbling, particularly in the short run. But the great encouragement here is you've got to think in 50-year chunks. Now, that may seem impossible. Even the great Warren Buffett, though, who's 93. Now, how does a 93-year-old think in 50-year chunks? He just does it. If he can do it, you can do it. You must be comfortable with whatever assets you're buying, rumpelstiltskinning them, meaning put them in a box, come back in 50 years, and you'll be glad you purchased them. Now, that's a standard that I recognize is very high. It's very high, but it will protect you from a lot of folly. Tulip mania, it'll protect you from that. It'll protect you from uh, JPEGs that are being sold, NFTs, whatever else, hot stocks. Because that 50 years means, wow, you've got to have some real resilience to that thesis, some real understanding. So be willing to be wrong in the short run so that you can be right in the long run. And how are we right in the long run? Keep your costs low, keep your investing simple, keep your time horizon long.